want to welcome you this morning. If you're visiting with us for the first time, we welcome you. We thank you for being here. We want you to make yourself at home as we uh, dive into God's Word and continue to worship God together. I want to welcome those who've tuned in online as well. Uh, we have been going through the book of 1 Thessalonians for the last number of uh, weeks, and uh, we're going to kind of pick right up where we left off. And so if you haven't been in the preceding ones, it doesn't mean that you're not going to understand where we're going. Uh, but just as a reminder, if you do want to circle back, all of our services are available online, and so you can always watch those and, and catch up on with us. Um, where we left off is, uh, so Paul had planted this church in, in Thessalonica. This young church had come to faith. These people had come to faith and Paul plants a church. It is in the midst of a very pagan, godless uh, society. And so we've got these new believers gathering together in this young church. They, they kick Paul out of the city because um, the, the world is being, or they, their small world is being changed as a result of the gospel. So they figure, let's kick Paul out and diffuse what's going on, but they couldn't kick the Holy Spirit out who was already there. And so it just continued to grow. And so Paul, out of love and concern for the church in Thessalonica and just wondering how they were doing, he couldn't give them a call, couldn't shoot him a, a text or a Snapchat or anything. He just kind of, he sends Timothy instead, right? He sends Timothy over to find out how is the church doing in the midst of this hostile environment, right? They are undergoing all kinds of, of um, persecution as a result of the, the governing authorities that were there. And Paul's concern was that these young believers would get discouraged and abandon um, the faith. And so Paul sends Timothy out there to kind of hear back how they're doing. And Timothy comes back and, uh, with an encouraging word, a glowing report that despite the, the persecution from the governing authorities, they're holding on to the faith, right? They're, they're growing in brotherly love for one another and they are walking in holiness, right? Because nothing can stop the church of Jesus Christ because it's not led by a man, but it's led by the head, Jesus Christ, and filled, and, and the spirit of God is within the church. And so the church is continuing to grow. They're walking in, in holiness. Paul opens up in chapter four. It's kind of like where we left off. And he opens up in chapter four in verse one. He says this, he says, finally then brothers, we ask and we urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and how you are to please God, just as you are doing, he says, that you do so more and more. And so he lays out for them, he said, he lays out for them the plan, the way to please God with their walk. And he says, I'm going to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing more and more. And Paul kind of lays out for them two specific areas that they, they ought to continue to walk out and please God. Last week we saw one of them was in their purity, right? They were to abstain from sexual immorality, that they would honor God with their bodies and they were to, to walk in holiness. And, and we looked at that last week. And now this week we look at the other a uh, point that Paul will highlight and affirm that was present in their midst. Um, and that had to do with their commitment to brotherly love, their commitment to brotherly 
love. And so if you were uncomfortable last week, you'll enjoy this kumbaya moment this morning as we are uh, engaging in, in, in brotherly love. I thought to myself, if this was somebody's first time here last week, um, it might have been a little, uh, if they, and they don't know us, they might have thought, wow, this is kind of a little heavy. But that's the beauty of going through the scripture verse by verse. It kind of allows us to hit every area that the scripture lays out for us. And so last week, it was on um, purity. This week, it is on brotherly love. And what I'll do this week is the same thing I did last week, is I'm gonna highlight some reasons why God is for brotherly love. There's a reason why there's a heightened sense of expectation for the church to walk and live in brotherly love towards one another. Let's take a look at our text together. Let's pick up in verse 9, where we left off. Verse 9 of chapter 4, Paul says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Uh, what a great word of affirmation that the church receives um, from the Apostle Paul in this area of brotherly love. He says, look, there's no need for me to write to you about this. He says to him, you're already killing it. You're doing a great job in the area of brotherly love. In fact, I've already heard news back from the brothers in Macedonia that you are modeling brotherly love to all the churches in there. Keep doing it, he says, all the more, right? Don't let up, don't become at ease, don't get comfortable and familiar with each other, but continue to pursue brotherly love with one another. Now, when Paul points out brotherly love, he, he's not doing that at the exclusion of the, of the women in the church, right? It's not like a, a brotherly love um, that is like in the male sense, like it's a locker room grunt session. Like, you know, that's not really what he's highlighting here. It's, it is speaking to the church, um, um, the, the brethren that make up the family of God, both men and women. We are called to uh, extend brotherly love towards one another. Now, before we begin uh, to see what God has to say about brotherly love, let me, let me point out something else that Paul is addressing a little further uh, in this text, and then we're going to kind of circle um, back in there. In the midst of the brotherly love that uh, they were experiencing, I mean, they were doing a really good job. They created a sense of real community within the church of Thessalonica, Right, and, and so much so that, again, it extended beyond there to the other churches of Macedonia. They are living for one another. They are loving one another. They're serving one another. They're meeting the needs of one another, right? But he mentions, though, that there are some within that community that are taking advantage of the generosity of the community. You see, they weren't, they weren't contributing to the church but they were utilizing its resources. Um, and not, not necessarily just financial, they just were, they were just kind of just showing up. 
They weren't bringing their spiritual gifts. They weren't extending themselves. They were engaging in the community of Christ. I mean, there's nothing like being in in the midst of the people of God where brotherly love, genuine care is taking place, right? Where we're we're extending love and acceptance and friendliness. It's it's kind of it's a little taste of heaven, isn't it? I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be. It's not fake. It's not like anybody just putting on their Sunday best. As the people of God, we know there's a higher standard. There's there's a safety that ought to be within the house of God. And so when we come together, there's there's a lot more generosity. There's a lot more of extending of ourselves to one another. There's more trust that's established. And that's a great thing for those who are contributing to experience. It's also a great opportunity for someone who's looking to take advantage of situations like that, right? I mean, you know, there's, there's givers and there's takers, right? And, and so Paul is addressing that there were, there were some in their midst there that, that were not contributing. They were kind of, they were taking a little bit. Look what he says here in, in verse 11. He encourages them to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own business. We'll talk about that in a moment. And to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent upon no one. He says, I want you to work with your hands and to be dependent upon no one. In fact, he points out that it is a bad testimony for, uh, to unbelievers when someone just comes in and they absorb, they take, they don't work with their hands. It's a bad testimony, certainly to believers, but certainly to unbelievers as well, as Paul talks about. He says, I don't want you to be dependent upon anyone. Now, let me just say this. There are times that that a brother or sister might find themselves in a place of need, right? They're doing everything they can with what they have, and they they just need a brother or sister to come alongside and help them along the way. And you know what? That's what the church ought to be doing, right? That's healthy, and that's appropriate. It's a blessing to be able to come alongside a brother or sister and to give from what God has entrusted into our care. And that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about people who were opportunistic, people who enjoyed the community of Christ and its resources, but they weren't putting anything into it. Look what Paul says here, because he addresses it again a little bit later in the second letter that he sends back to them in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, along those same lines. He says, we command you, brothers, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, synonym, laziness, walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day that we may not be a burden to anyone. And so Paul is talking about the importance of within the body of Christ and the way that as we are extending ourselves to each other, as we're encouraging ourselves to each other, as we're meeting each other's needs, he's like, you make sure that you're keeping busy, you're working, you're contributing to the work. Now, 
In the context of all that Paul is writing in this epistle, while he's certainly addressing this area of laziness, it's not just laziness that was causing people to not engage or, or work outside the church and be busy with, with their hands. Um, the church had a, a sincere and appropriate, because Paul taught it, belief that any moment Jesus can come. In fact, the church lived in light of the fact that at any second, Christ can come for his church. Many times as you're reading the words from the apostle Paul, he made it sound like he just expected eventually to get taken off the earth, right? And so they were anticipating the coming of Christ, right? And so in addition to some of the people being a little bit lazy, some of them were kind of thinking, well, listen, if Jesus is coming any moment, why in the world would I go to work? Right? Why work for somebody? Why deal with that? Right? And so Paul is kind of laying out this idea of like, listen, as you're waiting, as you're looking, as you're anticipating, you make sure that you don't just be a sponge in the group, that you work outside and be a part and use the gifts and the talents and the ability that God has given you. As Christians, we ought to be the hardest working people in the world. Right Now, everybody's in different places of life and, and there's, there's certainly limitations and there's things that... Um, you know, uh, not everybody's able to do the same amount of things, but the, the reality is we ought to all be doing something that God has given to us to add to the body of Christ. And if you think I'm just talking about money, please, please, you're misunderstanding completely. While money's a part of what we give, we also give of our time, right? We give of our service. We give of our, of our talents, our abilities. God has uniquely equipped each and every one of us with, with talents, abilities to add to the body, and a little bit later, I'll be giving an announcement for a way in which you can use some of those gifts and the talents and abilities for the kingdom of God. So Paul is highlighting that yes, and again, we're going to be jumping into the coming of Christ in the weeks ahead, but really what he's highlighting here is the importance of make sure that while you're waiting, you're doing, that you're not just absorbing now, my, among many other problems with not working, there's a, there's a whole list of problems with not working, but among many of the other problems of not working, it also meant that they had a lot of time on their hands. And as they had a, t- a lot of time on their hands, they began to focus on other people and what everybody else was doing. They were becoming busybodies, is what Paul is addressing in, in this text. You know, if you're, not, if you're not busy with something, That is prime real estate to become very critical and cynical about everybody else and what everybody else is doing, right? And what Paul says to them in verse 11 is, listen, you are to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. I love it. Mind your own business. Isn't that great encouragement for each and every one of us? Right? Like, just get, be busy with your hands, do with what God has placed you to do, and stop worrying about everybody else. Right? Mind your own business. Such a great encouragement. One of the greatest, greatest ways to combat cynicism and critical feelings against other people is get busy working for the kingdom of God. Right? Use your time, use your talents, use your treasure. Get so consumed with, with serving God and the people of God and the kingdom of God that you've got nothing left but love for other people. Because it, it doesn't take a genius to, to point out negative stuff, right? 
And so Paul's like, mind your business. Mind your business. Remember much of what Paul's goal of writing this letter to them, going back from the beginning, he's writing to them to remind them of what Christ has done for them in the past, right? And how that impacts their present and certainly will impact their future for where they're going in the future as we cross out of time and into eternity, right? Remember, we talked about the three tenses of our salvation, in fact, it's going to be right after this, this charge that Paul gives to get back to work that he's, going to go, that he's going to go now remind them about the coming of the Lord. He's like, hey, listen, go back to work, right? Be busy with your hands and just don't forget that at any moment, Christ can come. I look forward to unpacking that in these next number of weeks as we, we look at the coming of the Lord. How many know Christ is coming for his church? And while we anticipate that glorious day that could happen at any moment, the charge before us is to walk in brotherly love, to walk in purity in a way that pleases God and presents the gospel to the world around us. Now let me take a moment and define what the Bible says brotherly love is. Because we can get caught up in just feeling so familiar with that, 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 uh, that phrase that we can really miss the significance of what it is. And I pray that um, that, that, that lands well today. Uh, many of you know, maybe you don't, but the Bible was not written in English. Right? It was written in Greek. And in Greek, there are, there are four words that, we, that were used that, that in the English language, we translate the word love for, right? So in, in the, English, the English language is very, um, uh, very limited in, in its ability to communicate um, the totality of things, right? We can say, well, I, I love my wife, and you know what I mean by that, right? And then you say, I love my kids. You think, well, obviously he doesn't love his kids like he loves his wife, right? Hope not, Right? I you're like, I love those bagels in there. I love crumb cake, right? You're like, what's this guy? Like, he's, he's crossing over. Like, what? He doesn't know what love is. Now, you know what I mean by every one of those phrases, hopefully, if you know me, right? But, but our language, the English language is so limited, we just tag the word love on anything that we like a lot, right? Well, in the, in the Greek language, there's four primary words that are used for the word love that we interpret as love. And the first one is this word agape. And agape is, is the kind of love that God has. It's a, it's a perfect kind of love. It's an unconditional kind of love. It's the kind of love that God has for his people. It's, it's unconditional. And it's the kind of love that God, the Holy Spirit, is helping us to extend to one another, right? Because it's contrary to our nature. It's a God kind of love. And as we submit to the Holy Spirit and, and we allow the Holy Spirit to work on us, we can extend even that unconditional kind of love to one another. It's a God love. The second kind of love is eros, E-R-O-S. And eros kind of love is a, is a romantic, a passionate kind of love that, that exists between a, a husband and a wife. It's reserved right, for, a, for, a, for a man and a woman in, in, in the context of marriage. And so God gives us that kind of a love, eros. And then there's storge, and storge is the kind of love that exists between family members, right? The way in which, you know, it, you know blood is thicker than water, right? There's a, there's a sense of, of, of comfort, there's a sense of loyalty that we have, right? Family could talk about one another, but God help anybody else who talks about the family, right? It's kind of like there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a link that's there, there's a love that's there. It's that storge kind of love. And then there's this other word, phileo. 
Phileo is a friendship kind of a love. It's a a kind of love that certainly can be extended and and received even in the family. And certainly, I mean, it flows in and out of relationships. My wife is my my best friend as well. And so, but it kind of weaves in and out. It's a a friendship kind of a love. I saw you smiling, Carl. This this word, all right, let me just just unpack that, sorry. And we've always talked about the whole idea, is your wife supposed to be your best friend? Right? And so... (laughs) And so, yeah, my wife is my best friend in so many ways, but that doesn't mean my wife needs to know everything that my brothers need to know about because my wife doesn't think like my brothers do. My wife needs to know everything that she needs to know about me, right? So, Carl, I got you out of trouble, right? (laughs) So this word phileo is, one of the words we get from this word phileo is the word Philadelphia, right? And we all know Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. How many have been to Philadelphia anytime recently? How many know it's not so much the family, the, the city of brotherly love, especially if they win or lose a Super Bowl or a World Series, right? Um, but theoretically, right, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. Now, what's interesting is this word Philadelphia, which we get the word, phileo, which comes from the word phileo, this word Philadelphia is only used five times in the entire New Testament. And so there's, there's something very significant about this, what is brotherly, that what, what brotherly love is, that I think sometimes our familiarity with that can really cause us to miss the significance and the beauty and the power of what brotherly love can really be. Five times in all of the New Testament, we read about it in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul is writing, he says, love one another with Brotherly affection, right, is the word Philadelphia in the Greek. Love one another with Philadelphia, with brotherly affection. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, let brotherly love continue. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 22, Peter writes, having purified your hearts by your obedience to the truth for a sincere Philadelphia, a sincere brotherly love. And then in giving the marks of a growing Christian Peter will also mention in his second epistle that we are to continue with godliness and add on Philadelphia, brotherly love. And then the last time, the other time, the fifth time that we see this word used is in our text this morning, Philadelphia. First Thessalonians chapter four and verse nine. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write you For you yourselves, look, have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. I love, notice what he's saying here is this idea of brotherly love. It's not like you read about it in some book. It wasn't like somebody taught you this. It wasn't like you took some assessment that helped you to become better in your brotherly love. He says, you didn't need anybody to tell you or write you these things. He says, this has been taught by God to you to love one another. You say, well, what Jesus said, we ought to love one another. Is that what he meant? Perhaps he meant that's referring to Jesus, but I think he goes a little bit deeper than that. You remember Jesus is getting ready to leave and leave, leave the earth. His ministry on the earth was coming to, his, to an end. And, and, and in John, he says to his disciples that it's good that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit wouldn't come, but he is coming 
And he will not only be with you, but he will be in you. And look, and he will teach you all the things that I have taught you. What did Jesus teach us? To love one another. Uh, But now, as we embrace Christ, God the Holy Spirit is within us, and he is helping us to put in motion the teaching of Christ. No one else should teach you. You have been taught by God the Holy Spirit to love one another. Wow. That means when opportunities present themselves and you, and, and you look at something and, and something kind of rises to your awareness, you think, oh, I really should do this, but I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be seen weird. I don't want to be, and what is going on there? God, the Holy Spirit is helping you to love one another. What's unique about Philadelphia by definition And this is where I want to make sure we don't get common with the idea of what Philadelphia is. What's unique about Philadelphia is, by definition, it cannot be realized outside the household of faith. It is something that only can be experienced amongst the people of God. What distinguishes this kind of love from any other kind of love or loving friendship is that it is familial. It is a love that traces its roots back to the same Father, God, our Father. It's the family of God, which is what what makes this kind of love unique. It's what makes this love special. It's what makes this love holy and, and complete, right? It can only be experienced within the household of God because it comes from God himself and therefore can only be experienced by the people of God. Isn't that incredible? That God, the Holy Spirit, helps us to extend brotherly love to one another. The adhesion of this special relationship is that the spirit of God that resides, is is the relationship that we have within the spirit of God. It's incredible. Anyone can go to Philadelphia, but not everyone can experience Philadelphia. That doesn't make us better than anybody else. It just makes us the family of God, the people of God. We have one God, one Father, right? We're we're a part of the people of God. That's why you can meet a Christian that comes from the other side of the planet and you could be speaking to him for five minutes. All of a sudden, you feel like I've known this person all my life. Or you could be running into stop and shop and you run across, you see somebody who you you realize is a Christian and you start talking within within five minutes, all of a sudden it's like, I know everything I need to know about this person. What's going on here? God, the Holy Spirit that is in within both of you bears witness that this is my brother, this is my sister. There's a brotherly love that we share with one another that we dare say, not to our family members, sometimes... The relationship we can have with our brothers and sisters in Christ is deeper than even our blood brothers and sisters in Christ or outside of Christ, right? And so there's something unique, there's something powerful, there's something wonderful about this love that God calls us and invites us to enjoy. That's why it's so important for the people of God to come together. That's why it's such an attack from the enemy to keep people out of church. Not because we're trying to increase the roles, but the body of Christ was designed to be in unity and to be in fellowship with one another. And sadly, you know, when COVID hit and everybody was kind of scattered, it's been taken, it's taken a long time for people to re-engage, 
not back into church, but back into community, to back into relationship, the way in which we were designed to do. That's what the power of the gospel does. It unites the family of God. It restores a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins and embraces Christ as the only means of their salvation because that's what the gospel is, right? The bad news is I'm a sinner in need of a savior and the good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus didn't come to sit up a, set up a religious organization, a bunch of rules and do's and don'ts. He invites us to relationship, creator with creator, or creator with creation the way it was designed to be. And the beauty of the gospel is not only are we restored in our relationship with God, but he gives us the church, the body of Christ, one another, to experience the fullness of what God has for us here on this earth. So why is brotherly love so important? Why is love being extended to and from one another so important to God? Let's take a look at that together. A couple of things. Number one, we see it's commanded by God. Brotherly love is not up for negotiation. It's not a suggestion that Jesus makes. It is a command by God himself. Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. It wasn't like, hey, I got an idea. Give this a shot. No, here, the idea of the nature of a commandment is it's not up for negotiation, right? This is what you will do. I'm God, you're not, I set the rules, you follow. That's really what's going on here. And Jesus is like, here's the commandment I have for you. Love one another. Love one another. It's a command from Jesus who is the head of the church. And he gives it to you and I to love one another. So it's a command, it's a commanded by God. Secondly, it demonstrates our awareness of God's love for us. Look what he says here. Look, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How much? Just as I have loved you, you also ought to love one another. That's pretty heavy right there. That's quite a tall order right there. Right? How much? I mean, how many of you how many have asked that question? How much do I need to love this person? Dear Lord, help me. Right? Could you imagine Jesus sat it down and looked us in the eye and said, well, let me ask you a question. How much do you want me to love you? Well, that's different. No, it's not. Right? A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as much as I have, or as just as I have loved you. You see, it's important to God because it demonstrates our awareness of how much God loves us. The opposite is true as well. If I don't feel like I need to extend love to other people, what I'm really doing is I'm communicating. I'm not aware of the depth and the length and the breadth that Christ went to in loving me. And so ultimately, it, is there, it, it, is the, it, is, it demonstrates my awareness of God's love for me. And you know, if I, just get, if I would just get so caught up in how much God loves me, if I would just remember of how much he's forgiven me, if I would just allow myself to be reminded of how patient he is with me, 
And I would allow that to really inform me. I find myself a whole lot more loving to other people, a lot more patient with other people, a lot more extending of myself to other people. And I kind of think that's what Jesus was looking for us to do. How much do I need to love this person? I don't know. About as much as I loved you. It communicates our awareness of God's love for us. This takes our intellectual awareness of God's love for us and it makes it very applicable, doesn't it? You've heard me say many times, the only things that we really believe in the Bible are the things that we obey. And it's really true. We can, we, can, we can intellectually say, yeah, I agree with that, but if we're not putting it in motion, do we really believe it? Likewise, our awareness of God's love is seen in our extension of love towards other people, which sets us up for our third point. It's a reflection of God's love. That's why it's important to God. It's important that Christians love because it's a reflection of God's love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then I love it. He gives you the contrary. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What an incredible passage. What, I mean, that's, like a, like, that's one of those things you, you really can park there for a little while, right? Whoever loves has been born of God. And it demonstrates that they know God. In fact, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This becomes a wonderful metric as to where we're really at in our walk with God. My love for other people needs to be a reflection of God's love towards me. Number four, it celebrates unity. Don't worry, I only got about 18 of these. Um, it celebrates unity within God's church, uh, which is pleasing to God. It's important that love is extended. It creates and invites and celebrates unity within the church. Bob had read from Psalm 133 this morning. The psalmist says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. What a beautiful picture that is. How many of you had little kids at one point or still do? There's nothing like those rare moments where as a parent you get to sit back and you're like, oh, they're enjoying each other. <laughs> Look at them. We didn't completely mess these kids up. This is, they got something going on. They're getting, they're getting along, right? And as a parent, you're kind of like, after, after you're just waiting for the other foot to drop, right? You're just kind of like, no, I'm going I'm to take this in for a moment, right? And like, there's nothing like, as a parent, you look and go, oh, the family's normal. Like, oh, this is the stuff I got to post about, right? This is the stuff every, I wish everybody can see. That's usually the stuff that gets posted, by the way, right? There's just something, it just kind of, and really what this passage of scripture is, it's kind of like God, our father, looking at his children and saying how good and pleasant it is to my father and to one another how good and pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity. Something powerful about that. Something very satisfying about that. When each is living for one another, when we're, when we're building on and working in, together in the kingdom of God and selfishness is put aside and we're just looking to be what Christ has made us to be. The psalmist says it's like, it's like the precious oil on the head 
running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Homan, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there, the place of unity, there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Now, the, the picture that the psalmist paints here gets a little bit lost in our modern culture, but, but what's going on here, this picture that's being described to us is, is quite beautiful. Aaron represented the priesthood, which was, represented, which was a representative of the, of the people of God. And when, and when the person was anointed by God as priest, they would pour the oil upon their head, representing the oil, representing the Holy Spirit over his head, and eventually would cover the whole body, which in this case represents the people of God. So brothers dwelling together in unity, the psalmist said, that is like oil. Oil that was being poured out on Aaron, presenting representing the people of God. It was, it was a time of celebration. It was, a, it was a good time. It was a pleasant time. It was a sacred time. It was the amen of God as the people of God dwelt together in unity and, and love. It's important to God that God's people, his children, are walking together in unity and love. Fifth reason why it's important is because it's a witness to the world. Our love, our, our, our brotherly love towards one another is in fact a witness to the world. Jesus said that to us in John chapter 13 and verse 35. He says, by this will all know that you are my disciples. Let's just stop there for a moment because a lot of us have heard this verse, right? You know, if you have love for your, one another. But imagine this is the first time that you're hearing it and you're, you're kind of sitting at the feet of the rabbi, Jesus, and you're one of his disciples, and Jesus says to his disciples, by this, here's how everybody's gonna know, because here's the deal. Our, a, a disciple was to represent the rabbi, right? The disciple was supposed to act like, look like, and be like the rabbi. And so what Jesus is saying to his disciples, by this, everybody will know you're with me. They'll know that you're of me. They'll know that you're my disciples. Here it is, love one another. That's how they're going to see it. That's how they're going to make the connection. That's how, they're going to, that's how they're going to experience the love of God by seeing it on display amongst you. Our love for one another is a witness. We need to be considerate about how we speak of one another in the church. As I said before, we, we can talk about our own family members, but God help the person outside the family who does. How many have learned that that applies to in-laws as well, by the way? How many have learned the hard way? Right? My wife would be like, oh, so-and-so, this, that, and the other thing. I'd be careful because they might be watching. But I'd be like, yeah, you know, I, I think that's really wrong. She's like, oh, wait, that's my family, you know. It's like, wait, I thought I was engrafted in here. I thought it was my family too. What? So you learn, right? But you learn what not to say, Right? But the same is true in the family of God. We need to have that same kind of commitment, that same kind of loyalty, that same kind of awareness that we represent Father. And so does my imperfect brother and my imperfect sister. And instead of airing that out to everybody outside the family, can we just start covering one another in love? Right. That doesn't mean we excuse sin. It means we apply Matthew 18. We go to our brother and sister in private. We deal with things within the family so that we don't need to air things out. 
That's what Jesus is saying. They'll know you're my disciples when you have love for one another. In any community, there's gonna be conflict. In the church or out of the church, right? How we deal with it says much about what we believe about our father, our dad. How many have had the conversation with your kids be like, hey, listen, here's how we deal with things in this house. I don't care what you've seen in other homes. I don't care what you've seen on TV. I don't care what feels good to you. If you're under my roof, this is how we live our lives, right? Because in the same way that our love for one another is a witness to the world, our lack of, one for no, our lack of love for one another becomes a great barrier to bring in the gospel to the world. Because we don't look like any different than anybody else then. Number six, don't worry, I've got a couple more. Number six, why is it important to God? Because it substantiates our love for God. It substantiates our love for God. First John chapter three and verse 14, John writes this, he says, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. I love this. Here's a great metric right here. Here's how we know we've crossed from death into life. Here's how we know we're in the faith. Here's how we know that, that, that we have passed from death into life. We love the brothers. I, I hear people say it all the time. Well, you know, I, I love God. I just don't love the church. I don't love people, right? I don't want to gather together. But I have a hard time, any Christian that believes that they're growing in their faith and they're not a part of the community of Christ, they have bought a, 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 a bag of lies. got to love one another. God says so. It's his kids. I would hate if my kid ever came up to me and said, hey, dad, I really love you. I just can't stand my brother. Now, you might have had that happen and, and you got to work through that, right? But it's like, as a parent, you think, oh, no, I, I love him as much as I love you. And, and can you work this thing out, right? Here's how we know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brother. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Pretty hard words from John. You say, well, all right, I get it. I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to love my brother. I have a really hard time. How in the world do I do this? How do I learn what this love is? By this, he says in verse 16, here's how you know what love is. By this, we know love. Okay, this is, this is where we perk up. We're very great. Here, here's the standard right here, right? By this, we know love. That he laid down his life for us. And so we ought to also lay down our lives for the brothers. Have you found that some areas of scripture are harder to apply to your lives than others? <laughs> this is one of them. I mean, I tell you, I mean, I lay my wife, my, my life, not my wife down, I lay my life down for my wife. <laughs> I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble. She's in nursery today. It's a good thing. I'll lay my life down for my wife, for my kids. I don't know how many people I'd lay my life down for. I mean, if we got real honest, the application of these things, it's not that, it's not that Jesus is looking, to, you know, first I literally die for one another. But maybe he's inviting us to live for one another. Maybe he's inviting us to love others more than we love ourselves, more than we love our, our pet peeves, our, our, 
right, are, are, are things that are so important to us. And just love one another. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19, John says, we love because he first loved us. You see, I can't love until I understand and experience God's love for my own life. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. I love that. Can be clearer. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot possibly love a God who he doesn't see. And this is the commandment we have heard from him, again, referring to the words of Jesus. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Number seven. It's important that we love one another in brotherly love because we owe it to one another. We owe it to one another. Romans chapter 13 says this, owe no one anything except to love each other. Owe no one anything except to love each other. You say, well, but they don't deserve it. Why in the world do they? I don't owe them that. They haven't earned that. Neither have I. I didn't, I didn't earn the love that I've received from Christ. And in the same way that I am a recipient of that which I don't deserve, I am, going, I am called to extend to others that love. I owe it to you. And you owe it to me. We owe it to one another. Oh, no man, anything except to love each other. The rest of the verse says this, because, for, the, for um, number eight, the final point is this, um, it's important to God because love fulfills the law. Here's the whole, that whole verse in Romans 13, verse eight. Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. If we look at the law, it all points to how we respond to God and how we respond to everybody else. And if we, if we would just love one another, we'll fulfill all of the law of God. So how, how does this play out at Integrity Church? I mean, how do we do this? I think we'd be willing. I think we'd take a risk. We'd be, we, 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 we develop authentic community we engage and be a part of something bigger than us, like the kingdom of God. We engage in things that remind us of, of what we were and now what we are, and, and we treat each other in light of who we all are now in Christ. And when we recognize and embrace what we are now in Christ, we tend to let go of those little things that bother us about one another. We keep the big picture in sight, right? Right? It's wonderful we come out on Sunday morning and we worship the Lord together. We have discipleships coming together where we embrace and, and engage in the word of God. Bible studies going on during the week, various outreaches taking place. What's, what's going on in the midst of all of that is the community of Christ is engaging together. We don't do all these events just to kind of keep you busy, by the way. We do this because this is where the, the community of Christ is, is, is really um, firing in all cylinders. 
Because when the body of Christ is together, then the body, of, then people bring their gifts and their talents and their, abil- their abilities. They bring their, what makes them unique to the, to the table, if you will. And we're whole. And our Father is pleased as we're dwelling together in unity and we're growing together. Church, man, we never get so familiar with one another that we take each other for granted. I'll go one further. May we not get comfortable without, without knowing each other's names. Let's get to know each other more. You know? Let's engage in this community of Christ. You might, listen, your, your future best friend might be right in this room right now. Let's not just settle for, you know, passing each other in the hallway. Let's engage. That's what, that's what Christ invites us to do. And let's pursue and believe the best in one another. And you know what ends up happening? When we, when we love God with all of our hearts, it's what allows it to affect the way in which we love one another. And, and, and as we're loving God with all of our heart and loving one another with all of our heart, it, it causes us to reach out to the lost that don't know Christ, that haven't embraced Christ yet. And it sends us out on mission to continue the ministry of Jesus, right? To gather the lost sheep so that they not become like us, but become like him. Growing together in unity and love. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that, um, that our awareness of your love for us would increase day after day after day. And that, Lord, as our awareness of your love for us increases, Lord, may our love for one another increase. Lord, may we be intentional about that. May we be willing to take a risk, even be vulnerable at times so that we can be what you have designed for us to be. Not so we create some club, but that this army would be united and that we'd go out of these four walls and into all the world and make disciples. For that is what you've called for us to do. And Lord, as we're doing that, may they see the love of Christ in our midst. We love because he first loved us. Amen.